I'm Andy Kahn, and welcome to another episode of the Jambase Podcast. Jambase is a partner of Osiris Media, the podcast network for music. This episode features my interview with Ifo Donovan, who spoke to me about her excellent new album, Age of Apathy, that came out last week. We'll hear my chat with Eva in just a moment. But first, let's hear about the sponsor of this episode. This episode is sponsored by SiriusXM. Watch a replay of Fish live from the Ninth Cube special New Year's Eve concert presented by SiriusXM's Fish Radio. SiriusXM subscribers can relive the one-of-a-kind live stream or experience it for the first time exclusively on the SiriusXM app, available now through March 1st. No car required. After you finish listening to this jam-based podcast episode, you can tune in to SiriusXM Fish Radio to hear musical highlights with behind-the-scenes commentary about the historic performance. Fish Radio is available to SiriusXM subscribers on their phone and connected devices at home, including Fire TV, Apple TV, Amazon Alexa, Google Home, Android TVs, and much more with the SiriusXM app. The unprecedented viewing event took place in the wake of the postponement of Fish's traditional New Year's Eve run at Madison Square Garden in New York City. Instead, the band performed on December 31st without an audience, but with full arena production. SiriusXM generously underwrote production costs to make the Fish Live from the Ninth Cube livestream free and to contribute to Fish's mission of bringing their community together to support those in need. The three-set Fish Live from the Ninth Cube livestream marked the first time Fish had included a dialogue with their fans during a show through social media comments and requests, which were viewable by the band while they performed. The show is part of Fish's Dinner in a Movie series, where the band provides a variety of recipes that fans make and then post photos of their results. New Year's Eve's lemon-themed recipes included guitarist Trey Anastasio's instructions for making lemonade when you get handed lemons. The Dinner in a Movie series has raised money through the band's Water Wheel Foundation to help nonprofits around the country and beyond. The Water Wheel Foundation raised over $300,000 from fan donations for six nonprofits close to the Fish community on New Year's Eve bringing the total monies raised during the pandemic to over $1.2 million. Additional donations can be made at any time at fish.com slash waterwheel. Jambase podcast listeners who sign up for a new SiriusXM subscription will get three months of the SiriusXM app, SiriusXM standalone streaming service, for free. Visit SiriusXM.com slash streamfish for offer details. Don't miss your chance to watch Fish live from the Ninth Cube special New Year's Eve concert presented by SiriusXM's Fish Radio exclusively on the SiriusXM app, now through March 1st. No card required. So as I sit here in Minneapolis recording this, it's minus 13 degrees Fahrenheit outside right now. I've got to say, looking out my window at my snow-covered yard while the wind blows, making it feel like it's minus 28, the reports from the destination events in Mexico and Jamaica that have been coming in have been giving me some serious FOMO. It certainly hasn't been easy for the bands, crews, and fans to pull off these events while implementing COVID-19 protocols. I'm excited for everyone involved that were able to make the fest safe and memorable for the bands and their fans, but I also sympathize with anyone on either side that had to opt out and stay home. On last week's episode with the Green Sky Bluegrass guys, Scotty B gave a rundown of Dark Star Orchestra and Government Mule's separate getaways in Jamaica, along with the start of Wilco's Fest in Mexico. Since then, Wilco wrapped their Sky Blue Sky Festival at the Hard Rock Hotel in Riviera Maya. Those who made it down saw Wilco make the most of their final performance at the fest. The legendary Mavis Staples once again joined Jeff Tweedy in the band. Other guests included pavement Stephen Malcolmus, spoon frontman Britt Daniel, and Chicago-based keyboardist and two-time guest on this podcast, Neil Francis. Then widespread panic took over the Hard Rock, kicking off their 10th Panic in La Playa event in Mexico last Saturday. Opening night coincided with Jimmy Herring's 60th birthday, and among the highlights was the Panic guitarist ripping into a cover of I'm So Glad, 
which was recorded by Skip James and popularized by Cream. Widespread Panic's second performance at this year's Panic in La Playa saw the band bust out a cover of Firehoses Sometimes. The cover was last played on April 4th, 2014, making it a span of 346 shows between performances. Panic wrapped up Panic in La Playa 2022 on Tuesday with the help of Adam McDougal. The Circles Around the Sun keyboardist joined Panic for a three-song encore that included the debut of a cover of The Doors' Roadhouse Blues. As Scotty mentioned on the last episode, with destination event season underway and festival season starting soon, now is the perfect time to explore Jambase's updated festival guide. You can find music festivals near you with the help of our new Music Festival Finder. Search by location, date, or genre to discover the perfect festival for you and your friends to attend. Jambase has the internet's most comprehensive online music festival guide with listings for over 1,000 festivals worldwide. So dig into our individual festival pages for all the info you need on lineups, ticketing, and even lodging options. Head to jambase.com festivals to check it out now. All right, let's get to my interview with Aoife O'Donovan. We spoke recently over a video call while she was in Florida, once again giving me some FOMO for warmer weather. Eva recorded her new album, Age of Apathy, at Full Sail University in Winter Park, Florida, near the home she moved into in September 2020. Eva talked to me about that experience, which involved her taking up residence at the school and allowing students to observe her recording sessions with engineer Darren Schneider. Eva talked about taking those recordings and sending them to producer Joe Henry, who remotely worked on the tracks from his studio in Maine. She described working remotely with other musicians who contributed to the album, including Allison Russell, Madison Cunningham, and others. The interview also touched on what inspired Aoife to release her first solo album since 2016, the evolution of her songwriting process over the course of her career, and much more. She also discussed the prospects of new music from I'm With Her, the terrific trio she's a part of with Sarah Watkins and Sarah Droz. So let's listen to a bit of the Age of Apathy single, Phoenix, to lead into my interview with Aoife O'Donovan. So I'm here with Aoife O'Donovan. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. We're going to talk about your upcoming new album, Age of Apathy, which comes out on January 21st. So it's a terrific record. Um, I've been listening to it over the past couple of days. I find it to be deeply personable, deeply personal, but also like you do it with universal themes. So it's like, I could tell it's very, you're, you're drawing on your own sort of biographical references, but in, it does so in a way that, that transcends, uh, uh, like, like, so that anybody can relate. Um, Thank you. It's a huge compliment. Do you, this is your first solo record since 2016's In the Magic Hour. So what was sort of the impetus behind coming back out with another solo record? Well, I, I've, uh, gosh, so much happened since 2016. I toured Magic Hour for about a year and a half. And then 
um, kind of sunk my teeth into my band, I'm With Her. We, we yes. kind of reconvened um, the summer of 2017 to do an American acoustic tour with Punch Brothers. And, um, and that was a, a big tour. I had a kid that same year um, at the end of the year. And then eight weeks later, jumped on the road with I'm With Her and released the I'm With Her record, toured behind that for two years, um, went back into the studio, made an EP that came out in March of 2020. Um, that was, you know, supposed to be, I was supposed to be touring that, uh, for the, you know, early months of 2020 and into the summer, but obviously that didn't happen, but I always knew that the next thing I was going to do was a full length solo album. It was just time. It had been, you know, even, even without the pandemic, I was planning on doing it. And when I found myself with, um, you know, kind of relocated to Florida, had this access to this incredible studio and, and, just somewhere along the line, after months and months of feeling an incredibly, um, you know, an incredible drought of creative ideas and just feeling like I think so many of us felt, especially people with kids at the beginning of the pandemic is like, what the am I doing? How am I going to, like, I have nothing to say. I, like all of your creative energy goes into finding ways to entertain your kids. And yeah. anyway, I, I found my way out of it. And what, what ended up coming out was just, I think more music and more ideas than I really have ever had in my life. And so that, um, you know, some of that is on age of apathy and some of that you'll, you'll continue to see for a while from me. So, so did these songs come together all at once or were you kind of collecting them along the way over the years? I was I, not really over the years. I mean, for the most part, they were written during, um, you know, the first year of, of the pandemic. I think I started, there's, there's one song that I started, um, like in January or February of 2020. And then one older song, um, a prodigal daughter that I kind of re rediscovered and finished, uh, during the writing period for this record, but all, everything else was written pretty much in the thick of it. And they were, were they influenced, do you think by the, the pandemic itself, the, the isolation and, and the lockdown that followed? Uh, I don't know if that really the isolation specifically in the lockdown, but more they were influenced by the, the I think the concept of a, a, a cataclysmic world event that to me really echoed, uh, I think how I felt and how I think our generation felt is sort of in the, the days after 9-11. I, I was only 18 and, but I remember sort of like that, I kind of marked that as the beginning of my adulthood and sort of a lot of us. Do. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's just sort of like that, that felt like, okay, this is, you're not a kid anymore. This is it. This is, this is, this is real life. And all these things are going to happen in your life that you have no control over. And I feel like that sort of coupled with the changes that would have happened naturally, like the changes in technology, the advances, media, social media, how we receive and process information as a culture, um, is how we receive and process music as a musician. I mean, all of these things I feel like went into uh, went into this music and sort of like this 20 year cycle of 18 to, I guess I just turned 39, but yeah, for, of that, that time period of, is like, just now that I'm, now that I, I feel like I'm looking back on it, even though we're not, we're still in it. It just feels like, okay, that was these adult years that I had. And now what's, what's coming next as I sort of like enter, I guess, technically what is kind of middle age or at least early middle age. I don't know. Yeah, right. I, I don't know. I, yeah. I, I, we're about the same age. So I know that yeah. feeling of that sort of that getting to that period in your life when you do start looking back and, and, and those things that you look back at are further away than they, they were, you know, as, as you've been going on through life. Yeah, so exactly. Do you write 
uh, is your writing process sort of fluid? Are you always writing or do you have to, are you, are you, uh, mechanical about it? I, or I guess that's not right. The word, the right word, but sort of, um, workmen about it. You know what I mean? I mean, to a certain extent, but not, I, I wish I could say that I were more like, yes, every day I go into a room and I, I make time for my craft of writing, but that's just, that's just unfortunately not the case. I mean, I, I'm, I consider myself much more of a performer and a, you know, somebody who plays more than I consider myself a songwriter. Like, you know, I, I, uh -huh. it's definitely something that I do and something that I love to do, but I, I would say like the act of making music is more of my craft than songwriting. Um, but so, so, but that being said, I definitely spent more time this year writing and actually, you know, coming into this room that I'm in right now, my little sunroom and taking in the air and taking in the, the, the outside surroundings and actually writing way more than I ever have in the past. Cause usually, you know, for my whole life, I've just been on the road yeah. and, you know, you can, you're kind of like sneaking time here and there to jot down an idea, but it's very different than sort of, you know, having a practice where you do the same thing every day. So was there a moment when you were doing that, that you decided, all right, now I'm going to, I'm going to bang out this solo album or, or I'm going to focus on the solo record here. Like now's my time. COVID has shut everything down. It, did that happen? Yeah. I mean, I think that it happened because, you know, like my, my manager was like, you gotta, you gotta make a record. I hope you're writing, you know, why don't you try this? Why don't you try this? But yeah. But also like I, I, I came here, came to Florida, relocated from New York and it was just sort of like the change in scenery and the fact that I was able to work at this great studio, um, very close to where I live at Full Sail University that I was just able, like I, it, it just kind of happened. And I was like, all right, I'm going to start working on this record. And I called Joe Henry and got him involved to produce it. And everything kind of just like fell into place. So you mentioned two things there that I definitely want to talk about full, full Sail University and, and Joe Henry. Let, let's talk first about Full Sail. So how did that come about? And can you kind of explain what that situation was and how, how that played into making this album? Yeah, so Full Sail is this incredible audio engineering school. It's a, it's a big facility in Winter Park, Florida, which is um, basically part of Orlando where I live. And it's, it's epic. It's like they have, they have state of the art equipment. Like you would any, any like audio geek would be like, Whoa, Holy cow. It's, it's amazing. So there's, there's just so much, um, just access to like great uh, studio stuff, great, great, great equipment, great engineers. So I met this guy, Darren Schneider, who uh, I was introduced to by a mutual friend, Keith Lay, who was a faculty member at Full Sail and, um, a composer that has worked with my husband, at the Orlando Philharmonic Orchestra and Darren and I hit it off and there were very few students on campus last year. And, uh, I was, you know, given the opportunity to be sort of in residence there recording at the, at the studio with Darren. And this is sort of like in the height of COVID. So we're masked the whole time that I wasn't singing, you know, we're in two separate rooms. Mm -hmm. There were no students there, but there were students watching the sessions and sort of the creation of the material over zoom, like sort of an internal zoom kind of like just bird that fly on the wall sort of thing. So I was going to ask, did they, were they interacting or were they, were they just silent observers? They were interacting, you know, on their own zoom chat um, and like asking sort of some tech questions to Darren at, you know, as it was going. And, and we did a couple of Q and A's as well, but it was mostly just uh, like, I, it was like, I knew I was being watched, but you just sort of don't think about it. Did you like that experience? I loved it. I mean, it was like, it just felt like a really cool way to make the most of the situation. You know what I mean? Like, like, yeah. like they weren't in to on be campus with people I, and not be with yeah, people. I needed a studio. It was like, it was a great, a great scenario. 
and, and do you think that's something you'd you'd try again? Is it is it something you're you you would suggest for others to do? I mean, potentially, it was sort of a specific situation for me, and I'm I'm lucky that I'm still here and I still am able to do that um, periodically for recording when I have recording ideas and things that I need to do to get done recording wise. Um, it's not for everybody. I think some people, the studio is like a sacred space for, you know, the private magic. It's, it's funny. I just finished watching get back and it's sort of like, they were, yeah. you know, like there, there are cameras in there that whole time. And, and, and hilarious things like you're, you, they, I love the fact that he put in the scene where Ringo says to Paul, I farted, just you know? <laughs> yeah, just, exactly. But it's like these, these little things where you're like, you have to be so comfortable and not paying attention to the cameras. And, and I think that that's like, I, I was definitely not thinking about the fact that people were watching. It was just, you just kind of get used, get used to it. Did that happen naturally or did it take time for that to... to... No, it, it happened very naturally because it wasn't like there were like people with cameras. It was just sort of like a couple of, you know, a couple of cameras. And I would sometimes go in and see what people were typing. And I was like, oh yeah, they're, they're, they're listening. They can hear everything we're saying. That's cool. And and did you said you had Q&As with them. Did did any of that those discussions end up sort of impacting what ended up on the record? Uh, not really. It was more like a lot of technical. I mean, I think these the people who were who were involved in these zooms are are definitely on the more technical side as opposed to okay. the kind of songwriter songwritery side. But it was it was mm-hmm. very respectful. It wasn't like you should do this and and you know or I didn't like right. how you did that. It was more like microphone placement and and all that kind of stuff. So so you mentioned Joe Henry. Um, when did you first think he would be somebody that would be good to work with on this project? I have been thinking about working with Joe Henry for many years. Um, he, he's a, a dear friend. We first met in 2014 um, when we both were soloists on a project with the Cincinnati Pops. And we met and we kind of really hit it off. And I just think he's a beautiful person and an incredible musician. And his, his sort of touch as a producer is very specific and, and almost unmistakable. I think um, for for sort of diehard music fans, you can sort of like, you just sort of know when Joe has been involved in a record. And I, he, we had been in touch early in the pandemic, maybe like April or May and talked about just texted and you know, checked in. Let's write some songs together at some point. But this is sort of before the idea for the record really was in my mind. And I called him up in the winter, a couple, you know, six months later. And I said, I'm, I'm thinking about starting this record, or I, I basically have started the demos for this record. And it's got to be all remote. And I'm down here in Florida and I know you're up in Maine. And are you interested in, in working on this together? And he was like, yeah, let's do it. And then from there, it was just a, a whole lot of phone calls, a whole lot of Zooms in and out. And um, eventually when we finished the record, we wrote two songs together. We, we were just, it was a really, really cool experience. And when we finally got to be together in the same room to master the record in uh, Chapel Hill in North Carolina in, at, at the end of April, sort of post in the post-vax, you know, glory days of spring last year. And, uh, and yeah, I, I, we're, I think I'm just really grateful for the opportunity to have worked with him. Was there something about Joe that made you think he would be good to work with given the remote nature of how you were going to do the project? I mean, it's funny because he's such a in the room kind of guy and I, and knowing people who have worked with him, his like, he's, he's the kind of producer who you want to hang with. And so much of being a musician and and making records is like hanging out and and sort of like getting, getting the vibe going with the, with the producer and like really getting into it. Um, but, but somehow I knew that we were, we would be able to achieve that, uh, even without being in the same room. And it sort of hit, he had just made a record, his own record in the same way and kind of had, had the, the sort of the pattern that he had done 
in his mind. So it's sort of sending music to Jay Bellarose on drums and David Pilch on bass and all of his people who, who were going to be involved in the record. It was, it, it was really natural. And did you know those guys were going to be on the record because they're Joe's guys? Was I, that? I think I, I, I think I, somebody else asked me that recently. I don't think it was like, I want these guys, so I'm going to hire Joe. But, um, cause I feel like Joe would have been cool with whatever, but, but it is definitely his, like his, he's worked with Jay and Pelch so closely that it, um, I mean, I'm psyched that they said yes. They didn't have to say yes yeah. to it. So I mean, know, they so. sound incredible and their, their resumes are as, as impressive as Joe's for sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. and I can see where you would want to work with them. So what, what was like a typical day? Like then when you're at, are you, or did, were you like recording at full sale and then sending off to, to Joe and having a back and forth? Is that how they, they came about? Exactly. I was recording demos at full sale. And then I would sort of, I would be home. I'd be like writing in this room, like at all hours of the day. And then I would go to full sale in the morning and make demos and like sort of try to, you know, finish the songs and sketch them out. And then I would send them to Joe. And sometimes I would, you know, add more, take away a chorus, change the words, yada, yada. And then when we kind of had the demos of all the songs done, um, we, I, I think I initially thought I was going to start from scratch and like, you know, I didn't know what was going to go first, but we ended up using my guitar tracks and sort of my basic guitar and sometimes keyboard tracks as the sort of the, the skeleton for the song. And, and I would, um, kind of cut a final vocal and then we would send them to, to Jay first. And he would send back the songs to Joe and get ideas. And then Joe would send them say back to Jay and say, yes, like this is a great direction. And Jay would record, send them to Darren all through like uploading them through Dropbox. And mm -hmm. then would we, Darren would like fold it in, mix it in basically. And I would listen to it and be like, all right, and then it would go to the next person. So it was like this sort of laborious process, but, but it was really cool to sort of hear all these things come, coming together in real time. Was it a pretty consistent workflow? Like, did it? Yes. It, it was incredibly, incredibly consistent. Yeah. Like, it built mm -hmm. that way. Exactly. And it was, and it, and it was, everybody was just working so hard on it. Like that, that was kind of the, the cool thing to have all these people working with me that I, I felt like really believed in it. Like I remember getting an email from Jay being like, this is so great. Thanks for having me. And I was like, wow, he didn't have to do that. That was so like, that meant so much to me that yeah. he reached out. And then also I, I, David Pilch too, like I was texting with him and just, just cool to have not really have personal relationships with these people, but now, now to feel that I, you know, have some friends who I can play with on, you know, hopefully in person at some point. It was just really cool to get those connections with Jay and Pilch and Patrick Warren. And then people who who I do know sort of peripherally, but kind of w maybe would not have worked with like Alison Russell and Maddie Cunningham um, on vocals. Yes. Really cool. So with, with, uh, with, with Jay and David, with their parts, were you, did you give them many notes? Were there lots of instructions or with those guys, because they're such total pros, you do you just tell them to do their thing? I mean, I didn't give them any instruction and they are such shuttle pros. And that said, I was so surprised by what they, what they played in the most incredible way. And I, I, like, I just love the fact that I, I feel that they really put their stamp on this music. I think Joe gave them more direction than I did, but it, but it, it, what they played was surprising to me, unexpected and took the songs to places that I never would have imagined had we all been in the room playing together. I think if we had all been in the room together, I would have said, Hey, try this, or I'm hearing it this way. But because I wasn't, there was like, you just kind of have to let them do their thing. And it's, it's sort of like the beauty of hiring musicians that you really trust and that you love their playing because you're 
whether or not it's what you thought the bass part was going to be, like, it's like, holy shit, this is, this is the most epic bass line. Like the bass line on, on the song B61, I would have never, like, I don't even really know how he came out, came up with it. Like, dude, dude, like it's this really cool, super melodic bass line. But I think when I, when I wrote the song, I was sort of just imagining it to be like, really just like, no, like a normal bass line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it grooves. It definitely grooves. Yeah, yeah, it's so cool. So I, I, I love how he, how he did that. Pretty much on like every song, you just kind of, kind of came up with a really cool, weird bass line that I love. And same with Jay. Love is a daily good thing. I see it in your smoke. I can't feel. Yeah, it it you you say weird, but it, it 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 makes it so that it 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 crosses all these genres at once. I feel like there's there's this sort of genreless nature to the album, and I feel like those guys like in the same song, it can sound like a classic folk song, a uh, little bit of jazz, um, like pure just folk. I mean, it's it it's really a t uh, a testament, I think, to. Um, their playing and their musicianship because it it definitely gives a, a cohesive sound across the album. Yeah, well, thank you. I mean, that's that's definitely that's that's I think that's what I like about listening to records is when they do have that sort of transcendent. Like you don't you don't exactly know what it is you're listening to, but you can connect to it because of the musicianship and because of the playing. That, that's that's so I appreciate that. That's how you're receiving it. And you mentioned Allison Russell and Madison Cunningham. How, how how did they get brought into the fold? They they were brought in through Joe as well. I, I had met I, I knew Maddie um, because of we we sort of had the same job at Live from Here, you know, um, the radio show with Chris Dealey. So we would never be on the show together mm -hmm. because we were had the same role. But um, but I would tune in every week she was on right. just to you know get get as much of her gorgeous voice and guitar playing in my mind as i possibly could and um she's worked with joe over the years and he suggested her and i was like yes 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 please and her guitar playing on the record is so cool she plays on lucky star and passengers and it just like kind of slays um and and sings on those two songs as well and ali i had known through her work with birds of chicago but we weren't exactly you know we just weren't friends. We didn't really know each other very well. And since we, since she sang on the record, um, you know, of course her star has risen as yes. in, in the most beautiful, well-deserved way. She's, she's a true master. She has been for so long. Like she's, she's been around singing mm -hmm. and, and doing her thing for such a long time that it's so cool to see her kind of finally be in the spotlight. And I'm so, I'm so grateful that I kind of was able to have her on the record because she just sort of brings this shimmer, this like gloriousness to the three tracks that she's on. Oh, so she's on three tracks. Yeah. She's on Galahad oh, wow. okay. and Elevators it... and uh, Prodigal Daughter. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, I was wondering, there are, I noticed there are times when there's other voices 
And at times it sounds like it's, you, you know, you're singing with yourself, but it definitely did seem like there were others. And Allison's yeah. only, she it, she's featured on Prodigal Daughter. Yeah, she has like a feature on Prodigal Daughter. That's yeah. just like, that's just, that's just record. Technicalities. I, I, don't, I, I don't know that how that works. But anyway, yes, she's on three songs, but she has the official feature on one. <laughs> mentioned so we've, we've talked about a few of the guys uh jay bellarose david pilch um, patrick warren played some piano um who were there other musicians too on the record yes yeah, so so there's levon henry who's joe's son who's an incredible musician who did all the woodwinds um there's i think he's on about five tracks okay. just doing some really beautiful saxophones and clarinets and kind of creating a lot of hooks like on the opening track sister starling yeah, the first um, track right yeah yeah, yeah which That's i think so it's sick. just it's so cool his his parts and then there's a great harpist named Florian um, Blankney I think I think is how you pronounce her name she's okay. a Celtic harpist um, that Joe knows who lives in Ireland and she plays on What Do You Want from Yourself and actually has some really cool um, interplay with Levon Henry on that track yeah I wasn't and sure if that was an actual harp or not you know like yeah it, it is right? it totally That's is what cool. I want I want to be And then Chris Bruce plays electric guitar on Galahad, and that's a, a really cool electric guitar part. Awesome, terrific. So you're you're planning to tour on the album, I, I assume. Yes, we have a um, we had a you know big European tour planned for for this month, but um, old Omicron got the best of us, so that's uh, that's looking like it's it's going to be rescheduled for the fall. But our U.S. tour is not till the end of February, and I'm I'm very hopeful that we'll be in a different uh, different phase by then. And will you have a, a band with you then? Yes. So I have this awesome band. Um, we did a couple of shows in the fall, kind of getting ready for, for just, I don't know, just sort of trying it out and checking out how the tunes are going to sound. We played at rock at planet bluegrass and we played at fresh grass and another show in Vermont. So it's with, um, a great guitar player who, uh, people from new England may remember from the great band Lula Wiles. Her name is Issa Burke. She's an incredible musician, guitar player, fiddler, singer, She's in the band. Um, Ethan Yojevitz, bass player, who uh, is a Nashville-based guy. I played with Sierra Hall for years and Milk Carton Kids. He's awesome. And then my old friend, drummer Robin McMillan, who played on my first record. And uh, and 
uh, I'm looking forward to that, that quartet hitting the road. Awesome. That's great. And I have to ask is, uh, is anything happening with I'm with her? We got together back um, in November just to sort of, you know, stoke the fire and, and see how things were. And, and I'm happy to report that it was as awesome as it usually is. And yeah, I think there's uh, we're, we're kind of all kicking around a bunch of other solo projects at the moment, but, but there's definitely th- that, that project, it lives on and we'll come back at some point in the future. Just not exactly sure when. That's great. I, I love that record you guys put out. And oh, I, I, it's interesting. I, I feel like having listened to Age of Apathy, I can go back and listen to that album and kind of sense more of what your contributions are. Oh, that's and, cool. That's you, cool. You know, like I, it definitely yeah. makes me understand what, what you bring to that group. That's because cool. you guys so, you, you coalesce so well together. You know, I know it's, it's funny. Like, it, like, yeah, we don't even know who's responsible for what on that record almost because those songs were just like, we have such a vibe when we're writing together that like the idea is just, it really does start to be like, it's not, this is this person's idea and this is this person's idea. Like we, we really go into the pot and it's like all melted together. It's a very cool project. Awesome. Well, I, I really thank you for your time today. I appreciate it. Um, thank you. Anybody out there listening should definitely check out Ifo Donovan's new record, Age of Apathy, when it comes out on January 21st. Be safe out there, safe travels when you're touring, and hopefully uh, we get to see each other down the road someday soon. Yes, Andy, thank you so much. All right, take care. Take care, bye-bye. Have a good one. this episode of the jam based podcast our many thanks to all of you out there for listening thanks also to Ifo donovan for taking some time to talk to me if you haven't yet be sure to check out her new album age of apathy wherever you find good music thanks also to jake alexander for helping produce the episode we'll be back next week so in the meantime stay safe out there go see live music